With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Zach trying to get loose. He'll fire. He knocks it down. Carl slammed it home. Garland upstairs. Oh! Sexton inside. A thunderous dunk. And Allen blocked the shot at the rim. Welcome to the Chase Down Podcast, part of the Cavs Media family. I'm your host, Justin Rowan. With me today is my co-host, Carter Rodriguez. Carter, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. You are a lot quicker on that intro. And again, I forgot to unmute you on the YouTube. I am sloppy lately, <laughs> but that's all right. Uh, very quick on the intro. I was punching I was punching around scenes like a madman here. Yeah, you got, I, you got I, to be I, a little more verbose. I, I wanted to throw to you right away because um, oh. I, I thought maybe you would have some snarky remarks uh, about the Bucks Net series after we ended last podcast uh, in Justin, a heated Justin, debate. Justin, let me just be clear. Sometimes you don't have to say anything at all mm. when you're so clearly right, and uh, you know everything could, that could go wrong goes wrong. You know, one of the reasons I, I thought the Nets. Would, would win this series so handily is that their star power advantage was so profound and huh, they lost one of them and, I, I just and, want to remind boy, you just didn't it matter one bit <laughs> i just want to remind you that the road to bucks and six is paved with two losses along the way um that that was a variance game that was we saw this even with the lebron Cavs. when you have too much time off and you didn't play a real team in the first round you you get rusty. Sometimes you start off slow. They're going to start hitting threes. Things will be fine. Uh, there was no James Harden there to kill the flow of the offense. I, I'm now grasping at straws, but sure I, are. <laughs> but luckily, we are not going to be talking about that just yet. We didn't get any great suggestions for a bet on that series. I I, I think we should just go with a dinner bet. I, I yeah. Assume... Well, one of our Discord members suggests we shave our heads. I'm like, Jesus, can this be about the Cavs before we're risking our the, there, there were hair? there were no suggestions that didn't upset one of our partners, whether it be sure. our life partners or our uh, big business daddy partner in the Cleveland Cavaliers. Mm-hmm. So maybe we'll just stick with dinner. But today we are going to be diving into our three biggest questions uh, for the Cavs this offseason. We are just over two weeks away from the NBA draft lottery. A whole lot is about to become clearer as we get the results of that lotto. But there is so many questions with such a pivotal offseason that I I thought it'd be a good idea for us to dive into kind of our, our three biggest questions that we each have. So, Carter, would you, you like to go first or do you want me I would to? Love, I would love you to lead us off, pal. So, my biggest question is how much do the Cavs value Colin Sexton and in what way do they value him? Because not only do you have the contract discussion, which we've dived into, we have to figure out exactly how they feel he slots into the future as well. Because one of the biggest things that we saw uh, down the stretch when there wasn't really a whole lot to look at with the Cavs was the playmaking really advanced to another level where you start to think, hey, maybe Colin Sexton could actually be a backup point guard, which if that's the case, that's significant because it's a whole lot easier to kind of slot him in to play 16 minutes at the shooting guard position and 16 at backup point guard. But if you don't feel confident with that, or if you're investing in a backup point guard, which is something that we've discussed uh, quite frequently recently, those guys are going to be eating a lot of those minutes. And that basically slots Colin Sexton into 32 minutes at the shooting guard position, which might eat into Isaac Okoro, might eat into whoever you're drafting. 
right now that's justifiable, but I just think from a team building standpoint, if you don't feel he can be that backup point guard, it raises a lot of questions. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think it's a perfectly fair question because like it, it, it really takes the conversation out of the abstract in a lot of ways, in my opinion. I like that framing because it's not just, do you think he's good? It's, do you think that he should eat up like, like if he can't be your backup point guard, can you make it work? Mm-hmm. And I, I do think that right now, as the team is currently constructed, you can make it work because there isn't this, you know, they're short on the wing. I think if Kevin Porter Jr. was still on the roster, we might feel differently about this. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, if, if uh, this is why the lotto is just going to tell us so much, you know, if, if it's three and they're pretty sure Jalen Green's going to be on the board, then you do have to make those kind of that, those those decisions. I again, I will continue to to scream from the heavens that they have no obligation to make a contract extension this off season, mm-hmm. uh, an offer, and try to lock him up uh, at a number that is not team friendly. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I I do think it is a huge question worth asking. Do you have anything before uh, I kind of take the reins? Well, no, I, I just want to expand on a little more because you mentioned they're under no obligation to pay him, but you are probably now getting a sense of what he and his camp expect when, when it comes to salary. And that has to factor in because if if you're still at a point where you're not ready to commit to him being that backup point guard, then all of a sudden you're really committing to that shooting guard spot and you're also potentially committing one of those designated rookie extensions to him as well, which I, I would have to imagine. Like, if you feel that you're comfortable with him being that backup point guard, then you're saying, okay, now we don't have to maybe spend $9 million a year to get a backup point guard. We feel good about this. Maybe we find a playmaking wing, whether it be through the draft, uh, whether it be um, calling up a rookie president of basketball operations and Brad Stevens and figuring out what the, the market is for Marcus Smart, who might be able to play alongside Sexton in those second unit minutes. So you you have kind of a, a hedge or maybe Lonzo Ball is someone that you could pursue in a sign and trade. Like there, there's a whole lot of questions that uh, are really still murky when you don't know what role Sexton is going to play moving forward. And and the other part of this is how do you value him if trade calls come in? Because that is a possibility as well. If all of a sudden you're getting offers from him and you're not quite comfortable committing the amount of money that he wants, but some other team is. What does that net you? Like, I, I really think that as much as I want to move forward with the young core and Larry, there's tough decisions coming ahead uh, for this team, and they have to figure out what the value is both internally and what the value is externally when it comes to teams making trade offers for these guys. Yeah, I mean, totally. And I do think that is the that is the dichotomy they need to decide on. He is either their backup point guard and starting two, Mm-hmm. or he is exclusively there too, and they are not interested in investing other resources at that position. Right. I, and that I completely is, agree. That's a, and that commitment starts to get a lot more interesting, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you really can't hedge it. Uh, you kind of have to pick one of those two things. Because right. if you go if you go spend your full mid-level on TJ McConnell or someone like that, you, you don't go then give him seven minutes a game. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Like you're slotting in Garland for 
32, and that leaves you 16 minutes. And like, if you're Colin plays eight minutes at the backup one, which seems very, very marginal, Mm -hmm. then you've got eight left. And that is not going to work for anyone they've invested in at that position. So it, it, it does start to, you know, make the case for exploring what what your other options are mm-hmm. uh it, but again this all come you know so much of this is hedged by like what happens in the lotto because if they land with a three in the lotto that that makes you know if they end up leaving this trapped with a three or a two really it makes the deci- decision harder because you have to kind of commit to either uh isaac losing a lot of minutes or colin losing a lot of mi- a lot of minutes and if colin's losing a lot of minutes because you've already invested in a backup point guard and you have another wing you're interested in, then it gets much harder to invest. You're either not investing in your draft pick mm-hmm. uh, and and playing them, bringing them along very slowly, which uh, where the Cavs are drafting, they probably don't want to do entirely. They don't want to you know have someone completely benched, or they got to start making some hard decisions. So like, I think you're right that you can't just. I, I do think I sometimes treat the contract being so far away, in my opinion, you know, when they have to make a call, it's kind of this like panacea where it's like, don't worry about it. Kick the can. But like it does, it should drive decision-making. They need to have these hypothetical conversations now. Right. I'm going to hate this talk so much. Well, <laughs> no kidding. Uh, th- this is one of those spots where I'm really grateful that I'm not the one making decisions because I, I don't think there's an easy answer here at all. Um, I would say, in a perfect world where you can just wish up a type of archetype and add them to the team, it'd be really nice to get a, a playmaking wing because then you're really hedging your bets. You're saying, okay, this guy might play with Sexton in the second unit. And, and if you spend play- your and you you're in no very specifically a playmaking three. You know, this yeah. is why Kate is so important mm-hmm. uh, and would be such a game changer because now you can play it out. Yeah. You can spend the whole year figuring out if Okoro is a two or if Okoro needs to be a your six man or if Colin is a two or Colin needs to be your uh, six man or if that extra playmaking juice allows Colin to be a bit, uh, you know, that backup yeah. point guard a little bit easier. There's a thousand variables that uh, that you can explore over the course of a full season if you if you win the lotto and yeah. get get Cade. Everyone else poses questions that need to be answered. Yeah, and to be clear, the point of this episode is to kind of discuss what the biggest questions are, not necessarily give the answers to those questions. I mean, no. we, we have opinions, but I mean, it all depends what's available there on the market, uh, what what he's asking for, where you land in the lottery. There's just so many questions there, but I've taken enough of, of the time with my first question, Carter. What What's your next one? Uh, my one is, is is kind of related, but it's almost a little wider, which is... How much does this team actually love its core four? Mm. Because every single top prospect, uh, I think with the exception of Cade, poses a... And really, it's it's core roster. Because I would include guys like Larry Nance in that core group that are a meaningful you know member of this team's rotation. Um, and even Kevin Love, though, you know, we obviously have talked about that at length. But like you kind of know who this team's top seven are. And right. every single pick outside of Cade Cunningham throws a wrench into it. If they draft someone like Evan Mobley, what does, does that affect their willingness to go spend on Jared Allen? Mm-hmm. How, how confident are they that those two can play together? And are they, and then you look at someone like Jalen Suggs 
if you think that you already have your point guard of the future and you don't view Jalen Suggs as an off guard, maybe you don't take him. But if they take him, what does that say about what they think about Colin Sexton? What does that say about what they think about Darius Garland? Mm -hmm. Because the fit is so odd and so off that it means that they're not as invested as we think they are. Or, you know, frankly, they didn't have any better options. Yeah. Um, Even down the board, guys like Scotty Barnes have serious implications for the rest of the team if they're if they're gonna hit mm-hmm. so like i that that's kind of my my big question is you say you love your core four we love your core four but you know how eager are you to upgrade on them yeah yeah because because really ultimately you very likely will have a chance to upgrade on them if these players are as good as it draft twitter tells us they are right absolutely and and it ties into the question that i had as well which is how rushed is this team to make the next step and rush might not be the right word like i i think next season is the time where you would expect this team to make a next step i i saw taylor rooks had uh retweeted a conversation she had with trey young uh last year where he was saying hey we're starting a whole bunch of guys 22 and younger like yeah, that's kind of an excuse, but at the same time, we're going to need to take a step ahead next year. And while I don't think you can replicate what the the Hawks did specifically, there's going to be options available, whether it is looking to move this pick for a proven talent, whether it is, uh, as as we alluded to, something involving Sexton or Nance. Like There's so many different avenues that this team will have to get creative with if they do want to improve the roster. How much of a rush are you in to make that next step? How many long-term assets are you willing to part with to make that next step? Where does Larry factor into the future as someone that's turning 29? Like, these are all really difficult questions. And to me, the 2022 first-round pick is a really intriguing asset. Like, I, I think there's going to be a lot of teams that are willing to bet that the Cavs won't take that next step last year. And if you are confident in your core and you're willing to give up that pick in a deal to add a proven talent, to to add some seasoning to this roster, um, that might be something that's worth exploring. If the Houston Rockets don't land in the top four and they lose their first round pick, you have their unprotected second round pick next year. That might be an asset that you want to strike on right away because it's going to have peak perceived value because the worst team in the league didn't get a first round pick in that situation. Like, well, they'll fall down to 18, I think, but yeah, uh, okay. didn't get a first round pick, not, not a, a lottery pick. Yes, I, that's that's a helpful correction, but at the same time, 18 it's, it's isn't going worse. to swing things, right? Like, you, you don't. You don't know what that team is going to be uh, at all. Like they were the worst in the league, and they're probably losing a few more guys. So things are are not pretty in Houston. So what does that get you, right? Like I I think that is going to be one of the bigger questions: is just how aggressive this team gets and how creative they are in looking for ways to improve the roster. Yeah, um, it is certainly you know I think that that kind of ties into one of my other questions, but you know, I might as well just rip the bandaid off there and say, my other question is how aggressive should the team be to mm-hmm. upgrade their roster? Because I think you're right. You know, one of the roads to picking up talent is trading lightly protected or unprotected firsts. Yep. And it's a dangerous game to play. Sometimes it's all right. You know, I, I mean, uh, think about the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, you know, trading a couple firsts to get up and go get Luca. Yeah. Um, 
Sometimes it's a really, really bad idea. Think Minnesota Timberwolves, who thought they were ready to take a leap, traded a, a you know a, a protected first, and then to pick up D'Angelo Russell, and it wasn't <laughs> it didn't move the needle enough, and now they're in huge, huge trouble. Where yeah. Golden State can pick up a premium uh, top five pick in a dra- in a loaded draft um, because they were reckless. So the Cavs have to be really, really smart, but. You know, if they if they get a top pick, just by the way, just like the T Wolves, T Wolves won the lottery. So this, you know, as far as they were concerned last year, that feels pretty great. You get the first overall pick, add it to uh, D'Angelo Russell, your star center, and here they are at the bottom of the of to, the league again. To be fair, they did not love that situation, and they were trying to get rid. They were of trying that to pick, get out, the but the point is, like, you had options to improve your raw. You you kind of felt like like that's about as good of a scenario as you can be in. So yeah. if the Cavs do win this this lottery and they have Cade Cunningham uh, coming to their coming into their back pocket or even any of the top four guys, because obviously everyone loves the top of this draft, are, should they be willing to kind of mortgage their future and bet on this core, or should they keep playing it slow? You know what's the tougher part of that equation too? Like if you are talking about moving the twenty twenty two pick. Um, they're with the flattening of the lottery odds and the plan, like you could have a successful season. You could be a seven seed like Boston, who wasn't a successful season by their standards, but they got to the playing game, got injured and potentially could have fallen out. Like you could be a seven seed, uh, have Darius Garland, or let's say they get Cade and Cade goes down and you lose both of your playing games. All of a sudden that pick is now in the lottery with flattened odds and a better chance of jumping up than there would be in the past. So that has to factor into the decision-making as well. And like that, that's a scary prospect because not only do you have to avoid being in the lottery and giving that team a, a chance if it is an unprotected pick, you now have to deal with the reality of the playing game. So that is a really, really tricky spot to be in. Personally, I, I would still say it's worthwhile to go for it if you are uh, adding a young piece. Like, let, let's but it call has it- to be a good young piece. It cannot be an okay young piece. It can't be a good but pretty flawed young piece. It, it There can be no you know dis- discussion as to whether the, the player is very good. Right. And if you are trading one of the young four, or if you're trading Larry, or if you're trading this pick, I would want a player coming back that is on the Jared Allen timeline, but probably a better player than Jared Allen. Like, I, I think that would be the standard. Like, I wouldn't advocate making a move to make a move. Um, that's usually when a lot of the mistakes in NBA history have been made. But if there is an opportunity to add someone that fits with the young core, that adds to the young core but is a a proven talent you go for it i mean i've been trying to speak brandon ingram into existence for two years like every (laughs) i've done it like three or four times in the last couple weeks but like that would be an example if that's someone that's on the market now once the pelicans signed him to that contract a lot of my dreams kind of went to crap but you never know like what if pascal siakam's on the market what if like uh or it might be even man the Cavs. i i'm already seeing Kevin Pelton's F minus grade. If the Cavs traded their 2022 first for Pascal, <laughs> I could definitely see that. Actually, you know, uh, this is off topic, but it made me laugh. Uh, someone resurfaced the uh, Bleacher Report grades for the Nets uh, Boston trade, uh, the infamous one. 
And the Nets got an A while the Boston Celtics got a B in that deal. I love trade reactions right after they happen. Yep, it's an impossible game. So, you know, <laughs> no just no shade at Kevin Pelton. I'm still mad at him for his, like, C grade for the Jared Allen deal or whatever it was. Yeah. He was I, not a fan. Uh, but, you know, in fairness, like, the, I mean, that's another huge question. It's not one of my three questions, but, like, how much are you really going to pay Jared Allen? Mm-hmm. Uh, because... He did not play great down the stretch. Now, he got hurt, and the season was lost, but he was not a, in. I do not feel like he made a meaningful impact down the stretch. That's the team fair. success, and that matters a little, right? It does matter a, a little. $100 million. It does matter a little, but at the same time. It doesn't matter a lot to me, to be honest, but <laughs> I'm just it, trying to have the conversation. <laughs> it's an important conversation. I'm glad we're having it. Um, the, the tricky thing there is Jared Allen and most big men in the NBA are reliant on guards to get them the ball. And he has tremendous chemistry with Darius Garland and Garland being out of the lineup, um, I think buys him a little bit more forgiveness because the Cavs were once again without a point guard. Now, he kind of developed a little bit more chemistry with Sexton and Sexton would find him uh, a little bit more down the stretch, but you would have to Uh, imagine. I felt it on the defensive end more than anything. That's that's a very good point, and that would be what I would point to as not being as impactful. But I'm I'm still a believer in his upside. Like I, I think there's still room for him to grow. I, I still don't think he impacts the defense yet, like Larry does. No, and, no, and physically he should impact the defense much more than Larry does. Right, and, and you would hope that as he continues to fill out and physically mature, uh, mature um, on the court as well uh, with, with more experience, that he would take a next step. Because I, I do think that there's potential for him as a passer. I, I think there's some potential for him to stretch the floor. We, we've seen kind of those corner threes uh, with good mechanics and good touch uh, kind of be an encouraging sign. But the biggest thing to me, and especially with centers that are 23 or younger, a lot of them are good individual defenders, but it takes them time to understand team defense, right? To to really be that floor general on the defensive end of the floor, which I, I think we can all agree Jared Allen isn't at that point yet. But as you become more comfortable, uh, as you recognize what the offense is running, that's when you really start to become a more vocal leader, hopefully. And that's where I really think Jared Allen still has a leap ahead of him. And part of why I just think you you lock him up like you you offer him a five year deal under the designated rookie uh, extension amount, but you offer him a five year deal on day one because you want to lock him up and you want to be there for that upside because I, I do think that there's still a lot of room to grow even if the box score numbers don't necessarily jump out in a big way moving forward. Yeah, I mean, totally. I totally get that. And I think you do too. But it it is a question of like, to me, it's almost how much, how high do you want to go? Because if if it's, if it's four years, hundred or five years, hundred million, you know, that feels fair to me, feels a little high, but also, you know, who I think is actually a really relevant uh, kind of discussion point here is Clint Capella, who, you know, kind of was just the lob threat in my opinion in Houston. Yeah. I don't think he was a defensive floor general in Houston. I never thought, oh man, like they are so good because he's out there on he, that end I, of the floor. I think his leap into that kind of a player came this year. Yeah, and that's kind of well, thanks for getting there. Uh but <laughs> you know, uh you know, that's kind of where I'm at with with him where it's like I don't think he was a great defender, but now he is. Mm-hmm. And he is the reason that Hawks team is so stout on that end of the floor at, at times, despite having 
some pretty flammable pieces otherwise. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think that's what you're betting on if you're the Cavs. You're saying, we think you can anchor our defense in a significant, meaningful way as you get older. Again, he's just 22 years old. Yeah. Yeah. And you threw out the 100, uh, 100 million figure that's been mentioned. That's a five-year deal. Like, I'm offering him that day one. G- give him the term. Give him the the long term stability. Uh, Clint Capella years ago, uh, the reported deal was five ninety, which it, it's still funny to me that people didn't make us think about that. But like a year before, five eighty two for Tristan got treated as a max contract. Um, it drives me nuts. But you know what? Some of the narratives around anyone involved on a LeBron team can get a little bit annoying, including Ty Lue, who is now four zero in Game Sevens and has three comebacks from 0-2 in those series. Uh, Turns so out he's a really, 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 really good coach. It, there's probably a reason why a lot of stars advocate for him to become the coach. Uh, I think LeBron did that when L.A. had their coaching change. Uh, he certainly did that in Cleveland. Uh, Kawhi and Paul George played a role in, in saying that they wanted him to be their head coach uh, after Doc Rivers moved on from the team. So, um, yeah, turns out good coach who would have thought right carter no one could have guessed you know um <laughs> that that he would that he would be a capable uh coach yeah i don't know man it, it it's wild that that team is is a sloppy bunch and he's really the only leader they got um uh, <laughs> uh but i've already done two of my big questions what what is your second question well i i already did my second as well with how rushed the team is to make the next step but my third and final one is how much tolerance do the Cavs have for drafting outside of the second tier this year? Like, I really like a lot of these prospects. Oh, that's I, a good I, framing. I, I like that. I, I think no matter where they land, there's going to be someone that I'm interested in. Like, yeah, I've seen Barnes go anywhere between 6 and 12. I think Moses Moody would be available. He's going even if 5. He, he might go 5, but that, He's then going again, 5, I'm that, telling you right now. Then again, that bumps someone interesting like Kaminga down, right? Like, but... With the Cavs, like, I think if you get Cade and probably Mobley and maybe even Green, depending on how they feel about him, I think those guys you stay put. But outside of that, like, I, I think you really get into an interesting space where what I would advocate for, I'm I'm not going to advocate for trading down in this draft. I think that's insanity. But what I would I, do... I think it's just short of insanity. <laughs> I, think, I think you could, in the right construct, from the right deal... It's not insanity. Okay. It's yep. bold. I think it's I think it's the, I think it's similar and people will hate this because they don't remember what it was like at the time. Mm-hmm. I think it's similar to when Danny Ainge tra- traded Markel Fultz uh the pick that became Markel Fultz to go down and draft Tatum because if you remember Tatum was not considered on the same tier yeah. as Markel Fultz. He nope. was not by any means and so let's say let me let me, can I pitch you a hypothetical here? Yeah, you might be pitching the hypothetical I was about to bring up, but so go ahead. so let's say they land at four, Green's off the board, and they love Scotty Barnes. They think he is as good of a prospect as as Suggs without any of the fit concerns. If they trade down two spots, pick up a, a significant asset of you know at least a first mm-hmm. uh, of some sort uh, to trade down two spots and then go get Barnes. Is that insanity? No, no, I, I, I wouldn't call that. I don't insanity. think it's insanity. Yeah, that's that's a good point. That's a helpful correction. If the Oklahoma City Thunder get picks three and five, and you're sitting there at two, like 
I might be Ooh. into that. <laughs> That's a fun one. Like, but yes, I, I, so I think there is a case, but you have to be really sure. You know, there, there's a reason Danny Ainge was willing to take the heat on, uh, cause that was not a popular trade at the time. Yeah. No, uh, they needed a guard. Um, cause that was pre Kyrie and, uh, you know, it, it, that was not a popular trade, but Danny was like, yeah, I think Jalen's better. So I don't mind. Do and you so have a trade outline? Be- do you have a trade outline in this draft? Like Scotty Barnes. If- no, but wherever what, he's going to go is where I'm willing to go down to. No, what I mean by that is, are you? Where is the pick where you would be willing to trade that draft pick for an established player and not get a pick in this draft? Like to completely trade out of this draft, you are not making a 2021 pick. Where, where is that line for you? Four. I. It's probably mine too. Uh, and, and here's the thing: it, it's a sliding scale because it's not an easy. It's not a clean answer. Because mm-hmm. if I'm trading four and just because you have been enamored with him for so long and Brandon Ingram is the return, mm-hmm. that's interesting. If I don't think that would be enough. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I understand that. But I'm yeah. just saying like a really good young player that we already know is very productive mm-hmm. um, versus if like a buddy healed, you know, like yeah. a, a productive player. CJ McCollum. Yeah, exactly. Those kind of players. No, no, thank you. Now it's six or seven, eight. Maybe I'm a little bit more interested, though I'm not super hyped about it, to be honest. Yeah. But like you could talk me into it. So it's still a sliding scale, but like if it is three or higher, the the a king's ransom must be paid. Yeah. And, and I think even if they land at six, like I do really like Scotty Barnes. Just give try- me Barnes, man. I freaking love Scotty Barnes. I'd trade up. I would look to trade up or out as well. Like I I think you and, and this really gets to trying to figure out what options are available. Like you don't do it just to do it. Um, I, I wouldn't just write any team a blank check in either any of these moves, but I think you have to explore those options because you do have limited ways to get better. And if you can add a player, like if you're doing that, I think it has to be a second contract guy. Like I think it has to be someone 25 and under that fits the core makes sense is an established player uh likely you'd have to give up more assets but like that would be the type of player that i i think you would be willing to give that up for and, and whether that's in combinations with players that are already on the roster or uh if it's just the pick itself that would be interesting like i, I mentioned the situation hypothetically where okc let's say they get four and five or three and five and there's the potential for a trade back i think before i make that move i'm calling i'm shopping that pick that i don't have yet and i i don't want to pick two rookies in this draft like i'm looking to see what options are available there before i make a decision on uh, a hypothetical trade back trade like i really do think that the situation that the Cavs are in is a promising one. I, I think they have a good young core. I think uh, they are going to be taking a step forward next year. But you do really have to get creative. You really have to explore every single option because the avenues to improve this team organically, there's it, not a whole lot of ones that are obvious to me right now. Now, there's a whole lot of things that happen in the NBA that aren't obvious to me before they happen. And I, I go, We know, oh. Justin. We know. <laughs> as as the uh bucks fall down oh one but um yeah i i just think that that's the, the smart way to approach this offseason i i don't think you should be so in love with the the core and the team that you have that you aren't looking for ways to get better i, I think no i, that should, think that, I think that should be frank, the case almost with any team 
especially on unproven teams you know like you can't you can't fall in love with what you got in your house when the when the house is you know like they're not winning yet it's not like they've done anything like they've improved i feel better a and we've said multiple times like we feel better about this team than we did the year prior than we did the end of the year prior oh yeah and and that's been the last couple years we're okay well i think i i feel better than i did before so it's like you're moving your way there you're moving your way there you're moving your way there um, but ultimately no one has made themselves inevitable. Even Darius has not made himself yeah. like, so it, there, there ain't no Luca on this roster right now where you go, yep, that's our guy forever. Yeah. <laughs> like, so unless you got a, that's our guy forever or a core of that's our guys forever. Um, you can't be too precious. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you have to be, you have to be really, really smart about how you build to that end. My my kind of third question is, do the Cavaliers have a power forward on their roster that's starting for their team even one year from now? Man. I mean... Because, because that really should inform a lot of... It'll really inform a lot of decisions. And, it, like, how... Because if they don't think Larry Nance is a starter, quality player... Mm-hmm. And you have people like Winhorse. What was the report Winhorse had? Did he was it him? He he mentioned uh, on the radio that there are still multiple teams pushing hard for him. I, I think he mentioned that there is still one team offering multiple first round picks. Okay, okay. So if and, and before case, you continue, before yeah, you continue, I just want to say we have not been told anything on this. Like when you say if the team doesn't feel that he's a starter, we we no, have absolutely no, 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 no idea. No. That's just linking back to previous conversations we've had. No. Yeah. It's just, if he isn't that, uh, then you probably should consider what, if, if his value oh. is that high, then you need to have those, you need to have those considerations of, we don't, we think player X, if we think this player is X and the rest of the league thinks he is Y and they do not align, then, you know, if you get, you know, multiple firsts for someone like that that's big ammo if you do want to go go chase a branding i don't want to trade him i yeah. think larry nance is a is a starting caliber player uh in the in the right context and worst case is a is a great elite six man culture guy yeah. off the bench yeah and, uh, and like and a, a big that, part that of can play multiple positions and, and eat 28 to 30 minutes a game and really that's what i care more about but with that said between Larry and Love, they have two established players at the position that will require minutes while healthy. So if you go draft a Scotty Barnes, oh, you gotta start. You gotta start picking. You gotta start making choices here. You're you, you're kind of out of options. So either either you are comfortable at that position in the short term because you have Kevin and Larry under contract and Larry under a longer contract, or you want to go chasing upgrades. Mm-hmm. So like that, I think that question is a huge, that position is a huge question mark for them because I don't know what the best path forward is right now. Obviously I love, love, love Scotty Barnes and I love, love, love Larry Nance. And if that's my power forward room, I'm fine with that. Is that the best use of resources? I'm not sure. Yeah. It, it's a really tricky spot. The one thing I'll say is you but mentioned, let me be clear. The official party line of this podcast is we love Larry Nance. <laughs> Yeah, and, He's the and only this one is another on the podcast. So you know, by default, 
this is another one of those really callous conversations. And oh, terrible. I, I think it's important to acknowledge the other side of this. Like, if you are talking about players as assets and making all these evaluations, you also have to have an understanding for players when they get frustrated. Like, it's hard to build a culture. We we had we had uh, like sympathy for Andre Drummond going through the situation where it was clear, yeah, he probably could have handled things better after the Jared Allen trade, but it's un- understandable where you were putting in a career best effort, you were being really productive, and now it's clear that you're not part of the future. Like you have to. I mean, understand- Kobe acknowledged that himself, right? Exactly. So when you are treating it as a business when you're discussing team building, you also have to have an understanding for players when they also treat it as a business and. When it comes to Larry, like p- part of the reason why I said that I, I like him as the third big is in an effort to keep him healthy. Like if you can get 27 good minutes from Larry as the the backup big, that's really, really valuable. Like that's so good. Uh, and hopefully you but get more games out of him. But ultimately it means you have to invest more at the position. Right. And it, I mean, I as much as I love Dean Wade, like, I don't think the team should view him as a starter, even a nominal one. Yeah. And and you Uh, know what? Like once they're really good. And and when it comes to Larry, like you mentioned potentially moving him in anticipation of making another move. I would really want to have that lined up because I'm not trading him for picks. I am not trading him for picks. We need adults in this room. We need leaders in this room and Larry fills all of that. And it's not just because he comes on the podcast. (laughs) Yeah. Which is why like ultimately like I just I would rather just like I've said it a billion times, but like my North Star is normalcy and good culture and a team that is building in the right direction. That's what Mm -hmm. I want. And Larry kind of puts you on that on that level. But the Cavs do need to have these conversations. This is a question. Again, this is not an answers podcast. This is a questions podcast Yeah, uh, for this particular episode. And I think they really need to do an evaluation of how they're going to allocate resources across this roster because, you know, it. It becomes a challenge um, when you are when you're allocating the way they are to that power forward room, and if that if you don't think that's the answer, yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And to circle back with what I said earlier, I'm calling up Brad Stevens, the the president, and seeing what's going on there. Like, even if I could poach Marcus Smart, like Marcus Smart, yeah, you like that maybe- dude coached Marcus Smart. I'll bet he'll ask for nine first. <laughs> That's a very good point. <laughs> but Smart would be one of those guys that, like, you can play Sexton as a point guard offensively, and you have Smart as the two defensively in that second unit. Like, as well, plus, a plus, Smart as is a, a is a more capable playmaker than people think. Right, right. As a I, third I, guard, I someone really like, like a Marcus, Marcus Smart. I know as a Cavs fan, we're supposed to dog every every Celtic, but I I love that dude as a player. Yeah, the two guys that fit that mold to me are like Marcus Smart and Lonzo Ball. Like they do it in different ways, but they both like are such valuable parts of a guard rotation, and they can really play with any type of guard. Uh, so th- those would be interesting guys. But I'm absolutely seeing if I I could take advantage of a uh, rookie president of basketball operations. But yeah, like it's really tricky and this is another spot where i'm really happy we're not making these decisions um we're we're just trying to figure out what the biggest questions are because man like if i had to guess i don't think it's going to be an insanely active off season like it uh, yes 
maybe maybe around the margins i don't know like i i think a, a lot of the rotation might look different but when we're talking about evaluating the value for guys like larry nance Colin sexton the first round pick future picks darius garland jared allen like all these guys um, I, I think the only, <laughs> probably the safest would be Isaac Okoro because there's just no way his trade value is ever going to come close to his upside when he's just coming off a rookie year. Um, but the value you need to get in return for any of those assets would have to be so significant, and those guys don't often hit the trade market. So it, it may just be supplementing the rotation, increasing your margin for error, I think they're going to try to be active because this has been a front office that's been active every single year that we followed them. Um, but I, I just don't know really what to expect. Like, I, I think yeah, this it's going- funny because you, you say, you know, you said I, I think it could be a slower one. And then part of me was like, no way. And then I thought, what how would you probably define an active offseason? And I would almost say. And I'm developing this in real time. Don't hold me too accountable. But I wonder. I, I almost feel like a good way to judge how crazy their offseason was was how many new rotation members do we think we will need to account for this this upcoming year? I think backup point guard definitely. Whoever their first round pick is definitely. I don't see a lot of other stuff that's definitely going to happen. I mean, I think they'll try to move off Prince if they can. Who knows? Maybe, man. Like, maybe, but like ultimately, like it's funny. My brain goes, "Oh, half the roster's probably going to change," and then my my, then you actually start to put put it together, and you go, "Maybe not." They're they're not like a lot of obvious changes. It it's also weird because it's not like they were very good last season, but they also like there's a lot of guys in position already. Like there's not. Like, there's holes in this roster, but there's also not holes, right? Like, uh, you, well, the only thing that's different is that the people that half the team was hurt all year, and ideally, <laughs> a lot of people that were in the rotation might bop get knocked out just because better players got healthy. I, I would just define a active slash crazy offseason as is there a new member of the core? If if one of the core, well, let, let's call it the core five. Let's call it the core five. So the the four young guys and Larry. If one of those guys is moved, I would define that as a crazy offseason. Like I, I, would I, say, I would say that is fair, but I would say I would not say adding a member is crazy because if they don't add a member to the core, then that's a bomber. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's a then they then if they don't add a player we consider a core player, then. Either the lotto went so terribly wrong and they fell to seven or eight, or even then, they, even then, they, they took a be, swing that we hate. Even then, those guys would be part of the core. Like if you're drafting at eight, that's fair. And, and there's not a trade up. Like I, I, I'm referring to in the trade market, like trade and free agency market. Like if you went okay. out there and and added someone that you consider part of the core, that would be nuts to me. Like not not that. not uh, not nuts in not nuts in an unexpected way, but that is going to be something that is going to warrant a emergency podcast and there's a lot of roads to a fascinating season next year oh yeah yeah um and that goes beyond darius garland 2020 they don't fall in the lottery it's getting (laughs) it's getting real man man have you been keeping track of the tankathon spin of the day i've been doing on the chase down account oh sure have justin i'm a big supporter of your social media work when you tag me on it <laughs> Those are your tweets, man. I I have never tagged you. I don't know what you're implying, but 
the, the luck I've been having with just one spin each day is absolutely absurd. And I don't know if that's a good sign or a bad sign. It kind of freaks me out because I, I think you can use up your good luck. Or maybe it's maybe it's a sign from the universe saying good luck is coming the Cavs way. I, I don't know how to read that just yet. Uh, I I got I just got this gut feeling it's gonna go right for us this time. And you know me normally that ain't me, pal. I really um, I think it's gonna be two or three. I, I that's that's my uh, gut. I, maybe I, maybe I'm just trying to will Kate into existence. Who's to say? I I'm fine with that. Obviously, <laughs> like we would the the reaction to the Cavs landing Kate in the lottery would just be absurd like i i i'm gonna have to plan that out ahead of time By the so way, i don't I get am, as fired. I, I am in love with your get two trade down for three and five concept that would be pretty nuts especially that would be pretty cool especially if you can I, use five to get something established Ooh, oh, stop it Ooh, Ooh, carter getting sweaty in here <laughs> it is and that's not just because i'm wearing denim under a uh a light <laughs> But that's probably a good place to wrap it up. When things get sweaty, we need to get going. We we need to towel off a little bit. Hopefully, you guys, uh, we, we've given you something to think about with the, this podcast because I, I, I think there is a lot of interesting questions and how the Cavs approach these questions is going to be pretty damn telling. Uh, I'm pretty excited for Tuesday's pod as well. We have friend of the podcast, Dave Dufour, making his return to the Talking pod. Talking playoffs. <laughs> talking some playoffs and probably talking some Cavs too because he was really high on the Cavs when we did our season preview and I would love to get his have thoughts on Have we not had him season. on since the preview? We have not had him on since before the season started so wow. we need to get a, a little bit of the do for recap because Guess, guess we don't love Dave anymore. There, you know? there, there are not many opinions I value higher than his so I, I'm really looking forward to having him on but I always value the support of our listeners. If you guys are watching on YouTube, make sure you like and subscribe. It is the best way to help us show up in the algorithms. If you're listening via podcast, make sure to leave a rating, leave a review, subscribe, and unsubscribe, and resubscribe to help cook those books. If you want to be part of the Chase Down's exclusive Discord chat, you can send a screenshot of that review to chasedownpod at gmail.com. However you choose to support us, we really do appreciate it. Make sure you guys are staying safe out there. And until next time, go Cats.